All right. So we have, over the last few months, done little bursts of learning where we've jumped into the book of Luke in the Bible. So the book of Luke, it's one of the Gospels. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they are four different accounts of the time that Jesus was with us on earth. And Luke wasn't actually with Jesus. What he did was he did a whole bunch of research Afterwards, he became a Christian, became a believer, became a follower, did all this research, just talking to people and gathering all the information, all the facts of this, uh, of what, what Jesus uh, said and did, and, uh, and recorded it in the gospel that we now know as Luke. And uh, Luke also wrote the book of Acts. If you're someone that knows, is familiar with the Bible, you've got the four gospel accounts, and then it goes straight into what's called the Acts, which is shortened from the Acts of the Apostles, because it's everything that happened in the church after Jesus went to be with, uh, with God the Father. And it's all of the starting of the early church, the pouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and, and uh, it's, it's, so Luke wrote those two, those two books. So, so here we are, um, back into Luke again. And Stanley did a couple of great messages uh, the last couple of weeks while I was uh, away. And um, one of the ones he talked about was how Jesus always included everyone. And uh, he looked at Levi, the tax collector, in Luke 5. So it was almost like he was you know, getting into Luke uh, as well. And um, I guess the punchline from that is that you know that if Jesus can love a tax collector... He can love anyone. That's, is that, have I offended some accountants here? So, um, he can, but today we're going to look at the verses that follow that. Um, Luke chapter 5. So we'll pop up the verses on the screen. Uh, but if you've got your phone, you might want to follow along with that. So before we get into it, though, um, it's really interesting how over the centuries of the church, uh, of uh, Christianity... There's been people that have done all sorts of interesting things to try and get close to God. Odd things often. There's um, one of the ones I just happened to be um, uh, looking at just this week was people called the Stylites. Now, the Stylites, what they were also known as were the Pillar Saints because they lived on top of a pillar. Yeah, thought that'd be a good way to. And the first guy, the, one of the key guys that was um, known for this was Simon, Simeon, the, the stylite. And uh, he just wanted to pray. And he just kept getting annoyed that the more he prayed, the more people wanted to hang out with him. And, then the, and, then, but he just, and so thought like, and he found this neighboring town that was uh, uh, in ruins, but there was this pillar that was still standing up there like, that'll do, that'll do me. I'll have that one. And uh, he climbed the pillar. This was in Syria in the year 423. And uh, climbed the pillar, and uh, he stayed there till he died 37 years later. So uh, that was Simeon. Um, and uh, so he got, there was some young lads from the town that would bring him some bread and some goat's milk, and, and uh, they'd climb up the pillar and give it to him. So, and, um, and people looked at that and thought, that's awesome, I'm going to do that. And heaps of people became stylites and pillar saints. And... Uh, following Simeon. So another thing that people have done over the years to, in a way to want to get close to God is they've worn a cilice. 
Do you know what that is? It's like a hair shirt. A hair shirt, a singlet made of coarse animal hair worn close to the skin. And the goal was is that, you know, there's this phrase that, that's like all about the mortification of the flesh, and uh, which is uh, another way of saying they're trying to put to death their, their sinful nature and often worn during Lent, you know, that time before Easter, and that's what some people did. Some people even made these things with little spikes that would poke into you. Um, and, and it's people doing odd things, trying to get close to God. Another thing that people have done over the years, which is also a little bit odd, is this thing called flagellation, where they will beat themselves with a... Like, it's like, it's just odd things that people do. And listen to this as one person who, who did this. They said it was to remind me of my continued sin, my depravity, and my vileness in the eyes of God. So just like, all right, things that people do. There's this interesting scene in Luke's Gospel... Let's get rid of that. It's horrible. Um, interesting scene recorded in Luke's gospel. And the Pharisees, who were the religious people, one sect of religious people in Israel at the time, and, uh, and it says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were getting very frustrated with Jesus because they thought that he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do as a holy man. They, they thought, like, you need to be doing other things to please God. We're not, we're not seeing the things that you need to be doing to please God. In Luke 5.33, they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray. This was John the Baptist. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours just go on eating and drinking. And um, it sounds a bit like what they say about vineyard churches, really. <laughs> Like, you know, Stanley got up, like, well, no, what's happening this week? Well, we've got the welcome lunch <laughs> and the men's lunch. <laughs> and we watched rugby last night. And uh, do you guys, like, ever, like, pray or do anything? It's like, yeah, we do. <laughs> so here's some interesting things. Like, in the, in the Old Testament, which was the, the scriptures that the, the Israelites, the Jewish people had at the time of Jesus, there's just heaps more commands for God's people to feast than there are to do fasting and other things like that. Um, every year, there was five one-day feasts or festivals, and there was two seven-day festivals, and they're called feasts. These are... These are parties. These are, this is God saying, like, I want you guys to stop and I want you guys to celebrate. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I've just been on, on a holiday with some, some dear, dear friends. And, uh, and out there, there's been, because I got to some points uh, with being away, and I thought, like, this feels like I'm on a seven day feast. It's just like, I'm eating a lot of food here. So, um, but, you know, even with understanding the Old Testament, you know, talked about these people were the teachers of the law, the teachers of God's word, and they, was, they would have known about all of these feasts that God had commanded them to do, but they're still saying to Jesus, like, why aren't you fasting? How, if you're supposed to be a godly man, like, why aren't you denying yourself? And at that time it was... 
traditionally mandatory for Jews to fast. So it would have looked like you're not doing the right stuff. And these Pharisees, which again, the sect of, of the religious um, leaders, who are known for working extra hard to please God, they fasted every Monday and every Thursday, and they would whiten their faces with ash so that everybody could see that they were fasting. So it was a little bit like braggy, you know? And every day, they would pray at noon, at three, and at six. No matter what else was happening, they'd pray. And they would often run to a street corner to do their praying. Again, just a little bit braggy, you know? They were just like, hey, aren't we the, the special ones? But these guys, they're looking at Jesus, and they just saw that he and his followers seemed to just spend a lot of time just eating and drinking and partying and hanging out with sinners. And they were going, no, no, that's not right. And Jesus replies to them. He says this. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. And, you know, Jesus is saying to them, you've got it all wrong. You think that following God, you, you think that you're not following God properly unless you're miserable. That's what he's saying. It's like, you've got it all wrong. I'm here to show you that serving God and following God is a party. It's full of joy and the good things of life. And he was saying, and you know what? I'm the life of the party. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm the, they, the Pharisees hated that, that he would go places and people would, you know, the, the sinners, the people that were doing things that we'd all say is like, that's on the, on the wrong side of the moral line. And Jesus would come to the party with those people and they'd love him. They'd want to hang out with him. He'd bring life. You know, the Jewish first century weddings... They had wedding feasts that lasted for seven days. Like, right? if you've got a really big family and they're all sort of getting married at the same time, that's a lot of time off work. Eh? But um, uh, seven days, and during a wedding feast, it was forbidden to fast or to do any difficult labor. Interesting, eh? So Jesus is using this bridegroom picture, saying this is a time... This is a time for celebration. It's time for joy. Now, again, interesting things here is that Jesus really believed in fasting. He fasted. Those of you that are familiar with the, um, the stories of Jesus, at the start of his public ministry, he fasted for 40 days. For 40 days. And they say, medically, they say that uh, the longest that your body can really go without food is 40 days. So he fasted for 40 days, and, and then at the back, on the end of that, um, he launched into his, his public ministry. And, uh, and he also taught about fasting. He talked about how to fast in a way that leads to God's blessing. But he was, at this time, he was deliberately not fasting. Because the Pharisees are distilled religion down to rules and ways to try to please God. It's like, if I just do this, I'm going to please God. Or, and some of them obviously were doing it because they were wanting to 
uh, wanting others to think more of them. And Jesus is saying, no. Jesus wanted to rattle their understanding and turn their hearts back to a relationship with God. That's what he was doing. He was doing it deliberately. It wasn't that he didn't think fasting was of any value. It's just that like, you guys are seeing a relationship with God wrong, so I'm going to do things differently and shake it up so that you're going to, because I want you to turn back with a heart towards having a relationship with God. And Jesus, he's referring to himself as the, as the bridegroom and, and obviously his church is his bride. He says that there's time for parties and there's times for denying yourself. How many of you guys have ever done a, like a personality profile, like a Myers-Briggs or a disc test or an Enneagram? Or... How many of you are too scared to in case you discovered you didn't have a personality? So, no, no, everyone's got a personality. It's like you're safe. They're safe. They're great. They're really helpful. So, but it's interesting when we look at the way that we're wired, our personality, is that because some of us are wired more to party. You know those people, eh? You know, they're, they're sort of wired more to party, but, and other people are wired more to like, I've just got to get things done. And, and both of those, they sort of look at each other and like the people that like to kind of get things done, look at the people that are always partying and going like, why aren't you helping? <laughs> and the people that are partying and going like, why are you so boring? <laughs> you know? But we, are, we do, we tend to lend on one side or the other of that, uh, that equation. But you know, the cool thing is Jesus is saying we need both to live a full and good life. We need both. We need to, be, we need to enjoy partying. Now, I know when you say like, like party in New Zealand culture, you're often thinking of it's all about we just need to booze up. And, and uh, no, that's, it's the partying of just pressing pause on work and being fully present with friends and family and just enjoying just that joy of being with people and the joy of good food, the joy of good drink. It's a good thing. And like I say, this um, felt like my last two weeks was, was that for me with, you know, with these great friends of ours, the Jason and Bev Clark, uh, pastors of a, uh, a vineyard church in South London, and we went away together and um, enjoyed good food, drank lots of sangria. And, uh, um, so we've been friends for 27 years, and it was just a rich, rich time. And God instructed the people of Israel. He said, I want you to have this rhythm where you stop work and you party. I mean, even just weekly, there was the Sabbath. He says, like, I want you to stop. Just, I want you to stop once a week. One day a week, stop. You're gonna, you need it. It's good for you. And just enjoy taking time off from work. The festivals that they had. Now celebrate together. Remember the goodness of God. Eat, party, be with people. So it's an invitation that Jesus has with us in these scriptures here. He's saying, like we need to learn how to stop and enjoy. Okay? But then Jesus also times says there are times for pressing in, for denying ourselves, for the spiritual practices. He talked about this was particularly about fasting, but you know, prayer. 
study of the word of the Bible, um, serving, confession, giving, different spiritual practices. And he, he teaches on these things and he invites people into them in Matthew chapter 6. And again, Matthew chapter 6 is part of this incredible sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And I know I talk about this a lot. I, I, I was thinking about this this week. You know, I think that I mean, the Bible's a big book, eh? It looks kind of, when you pick one up off the shelf, it kind of looks the same size as every other book. But then you look and you go, man, these words are tiny. So it's, it's like, it's a big book. It's a lot to read. And uh, I won't ask you to put your hand up if you've ever read the whole Bible, because um, I know a lot of you won't have, and those that, uh, that do, I don't want to tempt you into bragging. Okay, so, um, uh, but it's a big book. But I often think that, you know what, if we could just grab this Sermon on the Mount from Jesus, and if we could just have that as a guide for going through life, what, it would be incredible. They, it, all the, um, the literature experts, they say this is the greatest message that's ever been preached in the history of, of preaching. So having said that, in the middle of it, uh, Jesus, he talks about some of these things, some of these spiritual practices that are important. But he's also saying that it's important to do it in a way that um, that is not about you gaining um, credibility with your your friends and your neighbours. He's saying, look, when you fast, don't go sticking that stuff on your face, looking all sad. Don't do that. Just do it, and between you and God, and God will bless you for that talks about praying, and he's saying, when you're praying, don't go running down to the street corners and, you know, doing your best loud prayer and puffing your chest out and saying, aren't I an amazing, you know, spiritual person? He says, no, just go somewhere quiet and close the door and just you and God. talks about giving. He says, like, when you give, don't go and... You know, empty your wallet out from one here and listen to all the coins dropping down and everyone's looking at you. And I, was at, I actually went, went to a, a church while I was away on these very... We're, we're in um, Portugal for a couple of weeks, which is a very exotic place to go and um, a very long way to go too. So, um, but there was a church and they had this donation box uh, if you'd like to, if you liked the church you wanted to contribute towards it. And it was just my last day there and I had some coins in my pocket and I thought, like, I'm not going to use them for anything else. But I dropped them in this thing, and it was just like, it was a metal thing, and just like, clang, you know, and there's echoes around this whole church. I'm like, <laughs> well, that was loud. Um, so, but it's like when you're giving, just, just do it in secret, and God who sees what you do for his sake will honor you and bless you. And the, the reality of this, doing these things, is that they do bring reward. There is blessing that comes from these kind of spiritual practices. There's a great um, uh, couple of books by a guy called Dallas Willard. And uh, I know that you've probably heard me talk about Dallas Willard uh, before. Uh, but he, he wrote a book called The Spirit of the Disciplines. And he's talking about these spiritual practices. I 
I kind of like the word spiritual practices. It just doesn't sound as hard as spiritual disciplines, but it's the same thing. Uh, spiritual practices. But he says this. Now, this is, you're going to have to like get, turn, your, turn your brain on for this, okay? These next few things. Ready? Click. Okay. So let's go. He says this. A discipline is an activity within our power, something we can do, which brings us to a point where we can do what we at present cannot do by direct effort. You think, what the heck did he just say? A discipline is an activity within our power, something we can do, which brings us to a point where we can do what we at present cannot do by direct effort. Let me tell you what he's saying here. How many of you have, you know, there's something that you've, has been a part of your life and you're going like, I just, I want to I stop doing that. And you try, you bring all your willpower to it and you just can't seem to, to make a change. And you just go like, ah, ah. And what Dallas Willard is saying is that through some of these spiritual practices, let's just take fasting. Fasting is something that we can do. And as we do that, somehow God honors that and brings empowering to make change in other areas of your life that you can't do by your own willpower. Does that make sense? That's what this is saying. And so we do the spiritual practices like prayer, like fasting, like learning the scriptures, and we find that we're changing on the inside. We're softer, we're more patient, more joyful, more peaceful. I mean, who wants that? I sure do. So we do this, and this happens in us. You know, I love John Wimber, who's the founder of the Vineyard Movement. He had this thing he'd say quite often. He said, like, I just want to grow up before I grow old. And when you're young, you often think that, I guess, you know, maturity and wisdom just comes with age. I said, well, um, I've met some people that are a bit older, and it doesn't always... Um, doesn't always go like that. Sometimes it does, but, but it's that thing. I want to grow up before I grow old. And by growing up, you've got to do things that will allow growing up to happen. And if we want to grow and change as followers of Jesus, spiritual practices provide a pathway. We become more like Christ as we do these things. You've still got your, your thinking on? You're still all right. Okay, here we go. There's another book that Dallas Willard wrote called The Great Omission. The Great Omission. And there's a chapter in there where he talks about planning for routine progress in wholeness. Planning for routine progress in wholeness. So we all want to become whole. We have to make progress towards that. And we have to make a plan to make progress towards that. So this is his plan. Now, let's, again, I need to really switch on here, okay? I'm sorry, it's a Sunday. You don't normally switch on on the weekends. Uh, no, but like, I'll just ask you to switch on here because this is great stuff. Okay, this is what he said. Okay, the aim of disciplines in the spiritual life and specifically in the following of Christ is the transformation of the total state of the soul. It is the renewal of the whole person from the inside involving differences in thought, feeling, and character 
that may never be manifest in outward behavior at all. This is what Paul has in mind when he speaks of putting off the old man and putting on the new, renewed to resemble in knowledge the one who created us. The genius of the moral teachings of Jesus and his first students was his insistence that you cannot keep the law by trying not to break the law. That will only make a Pharisee of you and sink you into layers of hypocrisy. Instead, you have to be transformed in the functions of the soul so that the deeds of the law are a natural outflow of who you have become. This is spiritual formation in the Christian way, and it must always be kept in mind when we consider Jesus' teaching about various behaviors in the Sermon on the Mount and elsewhere. For example, his famous teaching about turning the other cheek, if all you intend is to do that, you will find you can do it with a heart full of bitterness and vengefulness. If, on the other hand, you become a person who has the interior character of Christ, remaining appropriately vulnerable will be done as a matter of course, and you will not think of it as a big deal. You know, church, if we can grab this and run with this, it will change everything in our lives for the better. Jesus was, you know, he was asked specifically about fasting. Like, fasting? He said, well, you know, we're not fasting now, but fasting's good. There'll be a time for that. But, you know, he taught that fasting was not about to be done just to impress God, not to be done to try and gain favor with God, not to be done as penance for your sins. He's saying, that's the pathway to a changed heart. It's just a pathway to a changed heart. You kind of do it, and then stuff, do it over here, you do fasting, and then, some, and then you realize, like, oh, something's changing in, in, in who I am. Maybe that we find that with a, you know fasting a little bit over a few weeks or months, we find that all of a sudden we can forgive someone that we haven't been able to forgive because the heart's changed. We find that we're able to hold our temper with our kids when we hadn't seemed to be able to do that before. Just, you know, we find that we seem to have found a fresh wisdom to deal with this situation at work. So I would love us to try fasting if you've never done that before. I would love us to do that. It's just one of the spiritual you know, practices. Prayer is, you know, is a key one too, but this whole thing of fasting, um, it might just be one meal a week that you fast. And like, can I just encourage you, like, let's not do it like have a really, 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 really big breakfast and then an early dinner. And go, yeah, I fasted lunch. You know? Like, there's something about being aware of the hunger and just denying yourself that just leads to God just, I don't know, He honors it somehow. It's like one of those things you do that and stuff happens over here. Yeah, you, know, you might want to try a 24 hour fast. You know, 
maybe every week, maybe every now and then, where you have dinner one night and then you go 24 hours and have dinner the next night. And what you find when you step into these practices, these, these spiritual disciplines, is that you find you become a more disciplined person in other areas of your life, and you also find that your heart becomes more beautiful. It's interesting, we talked a little bit about Simeon the Starlight, the guy up the pillar, and you kind of think, what a nutcase. But here's the thing, is that he was... Um, he was a person that genuinely was seeking God. And by the end of his life, there were emperors that were coming to him for, you know, for wisdom because there was something about the pressing in with, a, with, with the right heart that, that led to a, a life that was full and beautiful and wise and good. You know, the, we read of the, the desert fathers in, in church history, the, those that um, went into the, uh, into the wilderness in northern Africa, mainly to get away from the church that was becoming more and more tied into wealth and power um, once Constantine uh, accepted Christianity in Rome and it became the official religion of the Roman Empire. And they were looking at it because it all seemed to be about wealth and power. And they go, no, no, we're missing the heart of the thing. And they went out into the deserts to be on their own. And uh, again, you think, oh, gosh, those guys are just nutcases. But again, with many of them that did that with good hearts, um, when, uh, when they, from time to time they did come back into the towns, people would just be drawn to them and, and they would pray. There'd be, people would get healed and set free from, you know, from demonic stuff. And it was just incredible. Saint Francis of Assisi again, you know, incredible saint of the uh, of the church, and you know he used to wear the the hair shirts and things to try and get close to God. But in the midst of it, he pressed into God with devotion, and you know, like when he came from a very very wealthy family uh, that was uh, in the uh, textile industry, and um, when he decided to give everything to God. He walked into, into town, and, as a, and, a, and this is, you might think he definitely is a nutcase, but he walked into town naked with all of his clothes, dropped them on his, his parents' doorstep, and just, as a, as, just to say, like, I'm leaving all of this behind because I want to, I want to follow Jesus. And, um, and he had an incredible impact on, on thousands, continues to have today. You know, there's this beautiful psalm of, um, of King David in the Bible who discovered the reality of finding the goodness of God as they pressed into him. Psalm 23, and you may have heard it at all sorts of different places, but this is, this is the, the heart of, of someone who's expressing what he's discovered in God. And he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And he leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, Dallas Willard again, talking about spiritual practices, he says this, It is in union with these activities that God restores my soul. The result is that I walk in the path of righteousness on his behalf as a natural expression of my renewed inner nature. So church, if we want this abundant life that Jesus promises that he offers. Let's be a people 
that commit to rest and party and enjoy stopping work and finding joy of good friends and good food. And let's also be people who choose to practice prayer and fasting and giving and worship and serving that leads to a renewed inner nature. Like, doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound good? People who party and people who pray. That's us.